This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Do you have a point of sale system you can trust or is it <clears throat> a real POS? You need Shopify for retail. From accepting payments to managing inventory, Shopify POS has everything you need to sell in person. Go to shopify.com slash system, all lowercase, to take your retail business to the next level today. That's shopify.com slash system. Free speech and colleges and universities. I'm Dave Helling with the Stars Editorial Board. Welcome. You are on Deep Background. Well, welcome. This is Deep Background. Dave Helling with the Kansas City Stars Editorial Board. Great to have you with us. And my good friend and colleague, Murray Williams, is joining us as well. Murray, great to have you nice to on, be here. Uh, on the podcast. And uh, you have a couple of guests. We don't have guests very often no, on Deep don't. Background other than other reporters, but you've brought a couple of young uh, gentlemen in to chat with us about an important issue today. So talk about that a little bit. Well, we have um, Justice Horn, who is the SGA president at UMKC. And then we also have Alex Dwyer, who um, who graduated in July, actually, uh, 2019, from KU. But while he was a student at KU, um, Alex founded Turning Point USA, which, and I've said this a couple of times, is arguably one of the the, or the largest or fastest growing uh, conservative student organizations in the country. And he found that um, at, U, at KU. And so we're going to talk a little bit about the rise of the conservative student voice on campuses. Um, as you probably know, Dave, um, there are been clashes between both the liberal and conservative student voice on campuses across around the country. And so I thought that that would be a, a good conversation to have Great. today. Great. All right. So Justice, say, uh, Justice, mm-hmm. say hi. Great. And welcome yeah. to the podcast. Hello, You're great. Nice and then uh, Alex, say hello to everyone. Good morning. Hello, yeah. everybody. Great to be here <laughs> on the podcast. Okay. We've got all the voices figured out right. now. Um, and, and just to be clear, Alex, you would agree that this, your conservative basically is your political viewpoint? Is that right? I mean, I, I want to make sure our listeners understand sort of the context of our conversation. Yes, I am, um, I, I am what you would consider a paleo-conservative, so I am conservative. All right, and then, Justice, you're sort of on the other side of yeah. the fence. Is that accurate? I would accurate? say a, a blue-dog Democrat. All right, great. <laughs> well, let's start at a 30,000-foot level. Uh, by the way, let me just point out first, both of these gentlemen are here in suits and ties. Well, I didn't even have a suit in college. I mean, I did, yeah. In fact, I only have two now. So uh, maybe things are changing on campus. But at a 30,000-foot level, um, it, it, is, what impression do we have of the current political atmosphere on college campuses? Because I think there's some assumption somehow that it's uh, there are battles going on and it's roiling and that disagreements are everywhere. Again, at the at the at the overview level, and we'll start with you, Justice. Is mm-hmm. the, is are the, is it a battleground on campus now, or is that exaggerated in your view? I would say uh, there are universities across the country that kind of set that tone. I know I can speak for my own university that that, if anything, that happens probably once every five years that we have an incident on campuses. But when I have phone calls with other student body presidents of let's say, Auburn or Butler or even UCLA, I mean it's especially UCLA, they probably have an incident every month where there are organizations clashing with different ideologies, and those are ranging from uh, political ideologies, uh, 
uh, human right ideologies and just different things. I Students, think, is it physical just, justice? Well, is sometimes it, yeah. it, it usually gets into the national news if it becomes physical. Yeah. I think no matter, and this is my personal belief, and I hope that it is with everyone, no matter your ideology, you shouldn't have your life threatened or be assaulted on the college campus, no matter what you believe in. Right, and we'll get back to that because that's, of course, part of the core issue here. Mm -hmm. Alex, you started this organization down at KU. Is KU a bubbling cauldron of political disagreement? It's a big campus. It's a, you know, obviously a state university. Uh, what, what, what should we think about when we think about the current political atmosphere dialogue on campus? Well, I think at KU, it's changing. Um, the the people that are coming into KU the past two to three years, they are, they're more conservative and they're more outspoken than what they've had in previous years. I think what we are seeing on a national level is that Generation Z is more conservative than the millennials and they're more conservative than Generation X. And what's happening is that these students now have platforms to speak on. They have, they have national support. They see students across the country expressing their views and they're deciding that now is the time for me to step up. Yeah. Now is the time do, to... Do you think it's really true that the, what, however we define Generation Z, that it is more conservative than, than recent? You get the impression maybe the politi- uh, conservatives on campus are more vocal and more organized and more thoughtful maybe in some ways, but not in just sheer numbers, that it's not some great conservative rebirth on campus. Well, you're right. You you know, that that's wrong. (laughs) You're right. There is more organization now for conservatives on campus. They they are more outspoken. But I do think it is a generation thing. I think that Generation Z is more conservative than the millennials. I think that when we start to see the polling come out and as more uh, Gen Zers become a voting age, you're going to see that they vote more conservative than millennials. What does conservative mean, are they, in your view? Is it social conservatism, personal habits, approaches, or is it fiscal conservatism? Is it Trumpism or more uh, sort of what we might consider classic republicanism? I mean, give us some sense of what you identify on. Okay. So, um, what has dominated conservatism in the past 20 years has been the Bush era, the Reagan era, neoconservatism. What's happening right now in the right wing is a rebirth of the traditional conservative, the, the paleoconservative. A conservatism at its root is about conserving tradition, conserving the natural order of things. And I believe that my generation has recognized this is what conservatism is about. It's not about the Bush era of conservatism. It's about a return to our traditional values, our return to... Uh, what values would yeah. those be, just so we are clear? Family, family values. Conservatism is at its root about the family, about the parents, about raising good moral kids. That is what conservatism is about. Yeah, and so talk to us a little bit about that, how that plays out on campus in your experience, Justice. What, what, because obviously, I assume, Alex, again, I don't want to put any you know, words in your mouth, but I assume that has something to do with uh, gay rights on campus, and, and it, it, it doesn't? Go ahead. No. Um, when you talk about traditional family, a guy my age you know, starts <laughs> thinking about the argument that has been made forever, which is that uh, you know, one man, one woman, you know, family, that type of thing. You're saying that's not what's involved. I mean, it may be part of it, but it's not the main focus of it. We, as conservatives, want to see fam- we want to see good 
moral families. And for me personally, there can be different kinds of family structures. Uh, I had a mother and a father. They raised me very well. Um, but I do understand that times do change and that there are different things that work for different people. And as long as people in our society are raising good children, I have really no problem with who their partner is. Is that how you see it, Justice? Yeah, so I think, and yeah, I would agree with that. I think that if that was what their plan is and that is what they're trying to do is, is kind of get back to values and this is something I talk to my friends about, especially if they're Republican leading, is just kind of returning to traditional values and and uh, and preserving that. I mean, I, I totally agree with that, but where I may disagree with that is if it's kind of, all right, these are our values and we're kind of going to force them on people. I'm not saying that Alex is at all doing that, but I think that is when it becomes wrong, when uh, I think it's good for people to have traditional values. And, and even on my side, I, I'm a known Democrat, but something I think we've lost touch in the Democratic Party is Christ, good Christian values. And I would say my decisions and how I lead my decisions come from my moral and my faith. I think that's something we've lost as well. And making sure that although I'm a Christian, that I'm not throwing that on someone who may not believe in Christ or someone who may identify as Muslim or, or stuff like that. I think it's good to have ideologies and reserve uh, the right to have your own belief as well and preserve that. But I think when it becomes wrong is when you're forcing that on someone. Okay, now let's turn to Murray. Well, you're I, writing a story. I have, yeah, I, I have a question along the lines of, of, of the discussion as it's going right now, and that is how much of what we're seeing on college campuses, the, the, the platform, the rise, as uh, Alex said, of a conservative voice amongst uh, a, a particular generation of students, has to do with the national climate um, and um, what's happening nationally outside of the college campus. Um, do, is that influencing um, the voices of the students on campus or, or, or what? Is, is there some outside influence coming in here? Can we talk about that a little bit, Alex? Yeah, absolutely. There is national influence and specifically in conservative, uh, in the conservative movement on campuses, there are national organizations. Turning Point USA is a national organization. The Federation of College Republicans, which oversees college Republicans, they're a national organization. Um, Young Americans, the Young Americans Foundation, which um, they are involved with Young Americans for Freedom, they're a national organization run out of the Reagan Ranch. Um, Young Americans for Liberty is a project of the Leadership Institute, which is a national organization. So there are national influences happening on campus, but what I think we should realize is that there is some pushback by conservatives against these national organizations. And I believe that is a very good thing because sometimes these national organizations may say one thing but do another. And I think that as conservatives, we should be consistent in our philosophy. And if we're gonna say, like Turning Point USA did for a long time, that we support free speech, but then they start limiting certain individuals from their events, I think that that's a misstep in messaging. Really, and that's the main point, isn't it, Justice? That the you're completely free to have a political viewpoint on campus or anywhere the question is how does that then influence the speech the thoughts the debate on campus and there are certainly examples maria and that's what i was going to ask you about you can chime in here too because you're working on the story but there are certainly examples of the clash on campus when differing viewpoints are brought forward now i assume that's Alex, in part what you were thinking about when Turning Point USA was formed, right? Or was it just you wanted uh, 
uh, a better uh, voice for the conservative viewpoint on campus, or was there a specific triggering event? So what happened was, is I found a Turning Point USA in 2017, around March, April time period. Um, what happened was, is I went to CPAC in Washington, D.C., the Conservative Political Action Conference. Massive conference, tens of thousands of conservative students from across the nation come together to listen to speakers and develop tools and skills that they can use in their organizations. And going to that event made me realize that this is a real movement. I'm not the only conservative in the country. I'm not the only conservative student in the country that has ideas like mine. And that gave me the energy and the confidence to find an organization that I believed with and to start a chapter of that organization at my campus. And I chose Turning Point USA because we had already had a college Republicans group on our campus. And we also had a Young Americans for Freedom chapter. The Young Americans for Freedom chapter folded, and I felt that KU's college Republicans uh, was not doing a good enough job representing student voices on campus. I felt they did a good job at getting students onto Kansas campaigns, but I didn't feel like they really were representing the student voice on campus. Right, and again, there's no comp particular problem with that, but when the problem comes when you get this sort of clash of who's on campus, who isn't, what they're saying, what they're yeah, not Yeah, so saying. also going on off of that, I'm happy you brought that up, but even, uh, so our college Republicans, we had an organization, and then that's when we usually, we usually see these breakoffs and these new form organizations of national branches come off if the, the students in those organizations feel like their college Republicans are not doing a sufficient job. So our YAF uh, organization was founded because there was a divide in the college Republicans, and they felt like they were towing the line and not doing as many right. values. Which and is not were, unusual. I mean, well, people yeah. disagree on approaches all well, the time. Well, what I've been hearing also is that college Republicans, um, their mission is completely different from, let's say, a um, Young Americans for Freedom or a Turning Point USA, that the college Republicans are a candidate-supporting type of organization where they are, you know, uh, working for a particular candidate, pushing um, a candidate's uh, political position, a platform, where Turning Point USA and Young Americans for Freedom, for example, might have a completely different mission. What's, what's the real difference here between these two organizations, even though they're both conservative student groups? Well, part of it is kind of fundamentally down to the legal status. Turning Point USA is a 501c3, so they're a nonprofit, so they cannot be partisan. They can't officially endorse candidates. College Republicans, the Federation of College Republicans is not a 501c3. They're perfectly allowed to go out and endorse candidates and have and bring in active um, public, public figures and that can talk directly about influencing legislation. So that's part of it. And the other part of it is I just think they have different missions. College Republicans wants to get people involved in the actual politics of government, whereas Torian Point USA is trying to expose people to new ideas and to start discussions. Go ahead, go yeah, ahead. So yeah, also going off of that, uh, something Alex brought up earlier is that I'm happy, although, and this is known without a doubt, that there are national branches that control chapters all over the country at particular universities. But I think it's without a doubt, it's it's good to say that these college chapters need to sometimes stand up to these national branches if their values do not align. Because I think that that loses the point of having these chapters on campuses if they feel that it's kind of a almost a big brother structure that everyone has to think alike. I think that there's good when there's sometimes differing ideas even with your own national right. chapter. Well, I also think that too, some people believe that 
the conservative groups that have a national um, organization over them, that their national organizations push the college students to bring in speakers that they know are going to cause friction on the campus, that part of the mission is to cause friction. Is, is well, that yeah, what you I'm going to get to that because that seems to me, and UMKC has had some incidents mm -hmm. involving what some people uh, perceived as provo a provocation or mm -hmm. a provocative speaker brought in not to really uh, elucidate a debate, but just to trigger some sort of confrontation. Do we misread that, Justice, when we see things like that? Or, Alex, your own experience at KU and on other campuses? Because it does seem like there's some political theater yeah. in, in, as that's a big part of all of this that's going yeah, on. Yeah, and if you look back at the video from last year, the YAF president said it plainly, like, our goal is to disrupt the, the liberal ideology and the liberal agenda with the speaker. And UMKC is known throughout throughout the country for being a pinnacle, especially for LGBTQ communities. Because I don't think a lot of people know this, but before any LGBTQ uh, club or organization was formally recognized by a university, it was our organization back in the, the late, uh, I think, 70s or 80s, that we then appealed it to a court, and then it then went all the way to the Supreme Court that then forced the hand of universities to recognize LGBTQ clubs and organizations. So we have that long line of history. And I think, I mean, they specifically brought in an anti-transgender speaker to speak on things. He, and this is my personal views on this, he wasn't there to say we need to get more uh, conservative students out there and then have them voting and you guys need to do things. He was there to specifically talk about anti-transgender sentiments. The, 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 the point of it wasn't to open up and educate people. It was kind of, it was the opposite. Uh, Alex, talk about that a little bit. Again, not maybe KU, but other uh, similar incidents in other campuses around the country. It does seem as if and it may not be limited to one side or the other, but both sides are engaged in some sort of um, artistic endeavor as opposed to actual discussion of, of important issues that you and others have brought up. Yes, the theatrics of politics sometimes takes over the messages that are trying to be delivered. On purpose, though, right? On I purpose, mean, that's what because the these kind of large-scale conflicts on campus or of like the nature you were talking about they don't really do anything to change people's minds. They just get media attention and it makes people money off of that. It's good to, it's not, I wouldn't say, what else, I misspoke. It's good for fundraising because you can show videos to your donors about how, well look, they're mad about our speaker, you need to donate your money, but that doesn't really change any student perspectives on it. What it does is radicalizes both sides because you get a side that was angry about what was being talked about because it was intentionally provocative and so they get riled up and in response to that, the other side that brought in the provocative speaker gets riled up Correct. as a response. And, and how do you just, get out of that trap? I mean, because you know, if a university says, look, we don't want to be a place where people can come and just be provocative for provocation's sake and make money, as you suggest, or raise money, and therefore we don't want to do that, and then there's a free speech debate that follows after that, and the campus should be a place for all viewpoints to be heard or not heard. It seems like a circular trap, Justice. Can you, I mean, am I, do I see that right or not? Yeah, right? so absolutely. I think that it's, 
it's a thing where we need to sit down our, our students and especially our young students. And I'm, I'm happy Alex uh, spoke on this because when, when stuff like that happens, I think it personally, it, it makes us even get in our silos even more. Like we don't want to hear absolutely anything the other side has to see. And then it, it then makes, I mean, open dialogue is out the door because they have lost any just respect to just sit down and see that person has another person and hear their thoughts. I think with that, we need to set our students down and, and tell them the truth that higher education is a place for truth and knowledge for you to be exposed to different ideologies, different political views, different people and different right. experiences. And you need to be open to that. I hope that with that, we treat them resilience because in the real world, it's not like that. When they go out in the real world and their thoughts are challenged, if they crumble, we have failed them as a student. Yeah. I also um, have been hearing that when those kinds of clashes happen, when that political drama, political theater happens, that it basically hurts even the group that brought them in or other conservative groups that are trying to grow their membership because they get lumped, they all get lumped together. Um, and, and so can you talk a little bit about how doing that doesn't it doesn't help you, but it it can actually hurt the the growth of the yeah. conservative voice on campus. It makes you know because if you say I'm a conservative, suddenly you're grouped in with that group that brought in this uh, conservative speaker who came in to just talk about LGBTQ mm-hmm. um, on campus. So I think what's important is we have to define a provocation. So there is people who are intentionally provocative, they are clear in their intent, we're only here, I'm, someone's only here to cause disruption. And then there are some things that are provocative, but that's not their intent. So there are issues that people talk about that makes, that gets people's emotions riled up. We have to distinguish people who are trying to talk about issues that by the nature of the issue they're talking about makes it provocative, and people that come on campus to simply be provocative. So I think a good example of this is a, a woman by the name of Michelle Malkin, and she talks extensively on campuses about immigration. And she does, there does sometimes, that topic is very, very important to people, and so it does create some tension. But what Michelle Malkin does is she talks very specifically about issues, and she's not coming onto campus to intentionally incite uh, provocation. That's not her intention. Whereas someone like Milo Leinonopoulos, who is basically irrelevant at this point in a national sense because all he would do is go on campus to cause disruptions. And as we see now in 2019, he's effectively irrelevant at this point. Yeah. Uh, um, because I'm with the editorial board, I can say this because we take <laughs> points of view. That's yeah. our deal. I disagree with about everything that Michelle Malkin says, but I would suggest she has a right to speak on mm-hmm. campus. You would agree with that, Justice? Yeah, Kennedy? absolutely. Yeah, yeah, and, and and so it's always, you know, it's always this sort of difficult balancing act because there are people who would oppose that because they think she's disrespectful of the immigrant experience or whatever, it's an extraordinarily difficult balancing act, isn't isn't it, to, to determine who sort of has the right and who doesn't have the right. Yeah, I think everyone has the right to... to Virtually see, everyone. Yeah. You're not going to bring in, yes. you know, a neo-Nazi uh, sympathizer or something. Mm-hmm. One thinks that would be something... Because the other part, Alex, of your formulation is... Michelle Malkin, as an example, just out of the sky, has a right to speak, but people have a right to say, no, we disagree with her. 
right? Absolutely, yeah, of course. There's right. going to be people that so, so so and that and then you get the friction, and then people right. and then look right. at the campus and go, boy, it's it's a mess, and they're trying to suppress free speech. I mean, it's very difficult mm-hmm. not to untie. Isn't but isn't that what you were talking about, Justice, when you were talking about the resilience that if you bring in someone who has views that you don't agree with, they have a right to speak, and the person who doesn't agree with them, they have a right to speak. Yeah. But also what you're trying to get to is that, but both should take the time to listen to one another absolutely, and yeah. not. And that's yeah. maybe where we're falling short yeah. least, uh, on both sides, arguably, yes, which is why you have institutions like Alex. Let's take a break real quick and we come back. We'll wrap up this conversation. You're on Deep Background. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Do you have a point of sale system you can trust or is it <clears throat> a real POS? You need Shopify for retail. From accepting payments to managing inventory, Shopify POS has everything you need to sell in person. Go to shopify.com system, all lowercase, to take your retail business to the next level today. That's shopify.com system. Hey there, it's Leah. Hope you're enjoying the podcast. If you like what you hear, help us support this podcast and the journalism that reporters at the Kansas City Star do every day by subscribing. There's an easy way for you to do it. Head to kansascity.com background. You'll even get a special discount just for being a Deep Background listener. Subscribing at that URL will get you three months of unlimited digital access for $1.99 total. You get access to KansasCity.com, the e-edition of the newspaper, mobile apps, and more for three whole months, and it only costs you $1.99. It's a pretty sweet deal, plus you'll be supporting journalism that makes a difference in Kansas City. So grab your computer or mobile device and go to KansasCity.com background. And hey, thanks for listening. Dave Helling back now on Deep Background with Murray Williams, my colleague at the Star. And let's just go around the table. Alex, introduce yourself. I am Alex Dwyer. I'm a graduate of the University of Kansas, and I was the founder and president of Turning Point USA at the University of Kansas. Uh, great. And Justice? I'm Justice Horn. I'm the student president at the University of Missouri, Kansas City. All right. Murray, let me turn to you, and then I will ask our guests. What role in your reporting have you found that faculty play in all of this. If you pick up the Wall Street Journal editorial page, they blame it all on the faculty members who are all 60 radicals and, you know, dope smokers. And exactly. All that and yeah. I think that, that traditionally and historically, the perception has been that, you know, faculty at universities are uh, predominantly um, of a liberal leaning um, uh, position ideology. And because of that, the um, conservative students who are on those campuses might feel or have felt that um, you know they don't have a platform to speak or they don't want to speak up in class. I've been talking to faculty about that and they would love to see students to be able to um, 
exchange ideas in their classrooms, especially political science, but they actually, the faculty has been shying away from bringing up in discussions um, subjects that might uh, provoke some controversy amongst their students for fear that, you know, they're going to be, be called out. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah, so it's not would, really faculty. What was your experience at KU, Alex? I mean, do you, I mean, I think it's fair to assume that the faculty by and large at most major universities, even regular universities, is fairly liberal. Is the, I mean, did that play into your decision? Do you think that that influenced the debate at KU? No, not really. I don't, I don't think the faculty at KU played much of a role in discussions on campus. I had a fa my faculty advisor for Turning Point USA was a conservative. Uh, he was from the business school and uh, me and him still remain close today. He was a great mentor for me in my time at university. I think that some faculties, um, there may be some instances, like at University of California, Berkeley, where there are obviously faculty bents that cause issues, but in Kansas, it's not really an issue. Yeah. What's your own experience? Yeah, I would say, and I'm, I totally agree with that. I think it's because of, one, we're in the Midwest, and two, we're in the Bible Belt, that we have to, although some of our faculty are liberal, if anything, especially at UMKC, as, as she stated before, I mean, they, they don't even bring it up. It's almost tiptoeing around it. And I think the fact that we can't even have that dialogue is us even, we're, we're, the, the faculty are are failing and opening the dialogue where we can't even, because then that then stifles both Democrat, independent, Republican voices from speaking up and then all, all forms of uh, communications are off. I mean, I... Well, I think the faculty are afraid of it. I mean, it only takes one student to complain that mm -hmm. something was brought up in class that they found offensive, right? Yeah. And um, and so it, one student complaining about a faculty member um, talking on a subject that, that they say was offensive, and, and that faculty is being called on the carpet for that. So that's why I think they tend to just stay away from it mm -hmm. um, yeah. for the most part. On, on the, talk a little bit, Murray, about the experience at the University of Missouri where you had the student protests and the faculty member who was nationally ostracized right. for her role. And there, there you go again, um, a faculty this, this, uh, we're talking about uh, Melissa Click. Yes, um, her name had just gone out of my right. head, and which is why I tossed it to you. <laughs> we're, we're talking about Melissa Click in 2015 when University of Missouri, uh, Kansas City, uh, became um, within the spotlight nationally in the spotlight for student protests that were racially motivated. Um, and um, I think the students they had a huge protest a tent protest in the middle of campus at a public university, and then what they did was they decided that they were going to put an imaginary circle around that and protest prohibit and prohibit the media from coming in and asking any questions. And we tried to explain to them that you cannot, at a public university, hold a public display and stand on free speech to do that and then stand on the neck of free speech right. and, and exclude the media, but they didn't understand that. And, and so that, that was a huge but it had a And it had a lasting impact. It on did have a lasting impact, but she lost her job because she tried to support those students. Right, because it became political right. and went to the legislature. And that sort of raises the next issue for uh, you, you gentlemen to talk about a little bit, and that is, I think we're talking about sort of disagreements on a, a you know, political level and uh, you know, foreign affairs or tax policy or spending policy, but there are issues of gender, race, you know, more fundamental issues tied up in all of this, mm -hmm. and it, that's when it really gets 
it can be just very difficult. And Missouri is a good example Absolutely. of that because it, it, it became, you know, when you start talking about free speech and race and privilege and all the other things that are part of it, then you're really getting down to some pretty fundamental beliefs in which students will say, I don't want to hear from this person, not because I don't believe with them politically, but they insult my gender or they insult me on a personal level. How, how do you get out of that mess? Or do you even see it, Alex, as a mess? And we'll talk to Justin. Well, I think for me personally, I always identify first and foremost as a Catholic. And I subscribe heavily to the teachings of Thomas Aquinas and uh, his masterpiece, Summa Theologia. And in that, there's um, he talks about how every person has to have a way to rationalize their belief in God. And so I kind of apply that to a more broad level, speak, broadly speaking, and think every person that I interact with has some fundamental good in them. And when I talk to people, I don't really think about political ideology. I don't really think about race, gender, sexual orientation. I think of them as a child of God. And I think that allows me to sort of almost transcend this this kind of argument. Right. But, but, but it like really, that. I get that, but it really is, that's really where the minefield really is, mm -hmm. isn't it, Justice, when you start dealing not with, you know, whether President Trump should be impeached or not, but fundamental issues of, of uh, you know, racial equality on campus and, and uh, you know, gender conformity or whatever. That, 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 that gets pretty sticky pretty fast. Mm -hmm. I think it's just uh, a lack of understanding for your fellow man and woman that they, we have to be, and even me, although I have a diverse background, knowing that I, I do have some privileges myself, that one as a male and one from uh, going to a, 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 a school in the suburbs and even having a university education, I think it's a lack of understanding where people are coming from and realizing that a lot of people need help. I mean, we could all preach about, and this is something I tell everyone, we could all preach about equality, but uh, the, the real conversation that needs to be happening is equity where different people in different groups need different types of resources to better themselves and also uh, help them to get themselves up out of sticky situations as well. Yeah. Um, Murray, let me turn to you. In your reporting, are you, are you focused a little bit just on public universities or do you get into sort of the situation at private schools at all? Well, I've been focusing primarily on the public universities. They're larger for the most part. Right. And, um, you know, in our area, since this story, while it has a, a national perspective, right. it, it, it is very much a local story. So we're talking KU, K-State, MU, Missouri State, and UMKC, because those are the universities that, that we Here's are why I asked that, because... Uh, Alex brought up his Catholic background. I actually went to a Catholic university mm -hmm. in Omaha, Creighton University, where I was student body president my senior year, so I have some familiarity <laughs> with go. campus politics. And these issues get very complicated at private religious institutions because free speech that contradicts church teachings can mm -hmm. really, and yeah. did when I was there, not, let's be clear, <laughs> <laughs> I was a college student in 1973, wow. so the thing, things have changed yeah. a little bit, one assumes, in 2019. But uh, the, the, there was controversy. 
over, for example, uh, a gay students club that the university said, no, you can't have one. You can't have an officially recognized mm -hmm. gay students club at that yeah. time because it contradicts church teaching. Mm -hmm. And that's what we believe in here at the university. And if you don't like it, go to another place. Talk about that a little bit, Alex, and maybe Justice too. I mean, private schools, we have several and religious schools, their standards may be different too. Well, it comes down to is how strong is our First Amendment? How far does our First Amendment actually go? What is a private university? What is freedom of religion? Those are extremely important, fundamental definitions that we have to come to terms with. So a private university like Creighton, a Catholic, which is Catholic, um, I do believe that they have a right to make that policy because they are a Catholic university teaching Catholic values. And if that's something that they are going to impose, it's a tough conversation to have, but I believe they have a right to do that. Yeah, trust me, it was a tough conversation, <laughs> and uh, there's still not agreement to this day. Yeah, I think... And it just doesn't, by, by the way, involve sexuality, but abortion teaching yeah, and absolutely. other church-related matters. Uh, and by the way, it's not limited, as you might guess, to just college and universities. I mean, there's a whole range of discussion within the Catholic mm -hmm. Church about what the range of acceptable viewpoints yeah. on these controversies are. So I think without a doubt, and this is why I'm, I'm absolutely, I have immense pride for going to a public university because it allows for freedom of speech and, and personally kind of hands off on the university on our experiences and how we express ourselves. That's why I'm a big fan of public universities. Personally, a, a private university, and I talk to student body presidents of private universities, it's kind of upper administration in the university is the law of the land, and I don't think that's how it should be because a lot of their students don't feel like they could uh, express themselves. And I think in, in form of Creighton, I, I think although it is a university that prides itself on Catholic values, I think if there are, I think it's good for the university if there are students who identify as LGBTQ, but they choose to still go to a Catholic institute and learn the ideologies of a Catholic individual and continue to do that, I think that they drive away their, they almost close off their tent. I think that they're not opening up other ideologies and it's, I think that it's, that's my personal belief in that. I think they almost block off people from, I mean, coming into the religion, even if they don't have a, a background. Yeah, it was very and, difficult, difficult. Mm -hmm. I mean, my own experience again was 30 or 40 years yeah. ago. So although I was reading something yesterday uh, about Creighton and apparently this discussion about access to all range of opinions on these controversial church matters have come up and I don't want to pick up just on Creighton. I went there, but I think this is true of all religiously oriented schools as opposed to a KU, yeah. where clearly with an enrollment that size, Alex, as you would, I'm sure, agree, there's a vast range of, of uh, viewpoints mm -hmm. uh, among the faculty and the administration and students as, as well, and uh, a little less so maybe in some smaller I'm curious about whether the administration on um, at either UMKC or KU um, gets involved in um, dictating to student leaders whether um, a particular group can either be funded or whether a particular group can bring in a particular speaker. How, how much um, influence are you guys getting from the administration when those kinds of decisions are being Have made? Have you ever heard from the Board of Regents, ever? 
Or, or the Board of Curators. Board yeah, of curators. yeah, absolutely. So I sit on ISC. It's the, the council with all the presidents and vice presidents. And we also, we report to them and we have our Board of Curators. And, and so the Curators, I'm, have they ever said to you, hey, don't do this or we're not happy no, with that? No, I, I think... There was some of that that came up last year when you had the incident. I think it was last year. Yeah, right. Yeah. right. That was last year. Yeah, yeah so... In, in forms of board of curators and upper administration, if anything, they are absolutely hands off and far away from this. If anything, the only thing we do as a university is to prepare and honestly prepare for the worst if it was to happen yeah, as yeah. well. How, they, how they, don't, they don't influence, and even student dollars, this, this is in the hands of SGA and the students. We control our student dollars that get funded. Right, uh, uh, boy, uh, uh, we could do a whole podcast on what it's like to pass out student dollars. <laughs> <laughs> student body Very true. That's still a problem. How about KU? Have the, the, uh, the regents ever approached you, anyone with the administration, Alex, and said, well, you know, we don't like what you're doing or you should adjust it or think about what you're doing? No, nope, we never had that at KU. I was, when I was the president of Turning Point USA, we were allowed to kind of do our own thing, and they didn't stand in our way. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah and also going on that, I think it's also the role, why student activism and student leadership is so important, is if, if, if the board, a curator, or even upper administrations came down and said we can't allow a speaker, I think us knowing that we're a public university and that it is our First Amendment right, right. to allow any speaker, that that's when we, yeah. That would get a lot of play. And maybe there's yeah. an understanding of that. Absolutely. Well, we're about out of time. Uh, give us, first of all, Murray, your story on this is in the in progress. What conclusions have you reached from your work, reporting work? Well, I, I'm really not trying to necessarily reach any conclusions. I mean, I think the, the, the point of the story is just to inform um, people on, on some of the things we were discussing here, that there is, there is a seemingly a rise of conservative voice on college campuses, and they are speaking about these issues. They are taking a stand and speaking up. And yes, it's causing some clashes um, um, on these college campuses, but here's what the students have to say about how this is going to play out. And I think, you know, Alex, you know, he has articulated it very well, that it's, it, it, it's going to continue to grow, and Justice has articulated that and um, hopefully we're going to get to a point where those two voices can be heard without the clash without in the rancor yeah. mm -hmm. let me ask uh, you gentlemen as we uh, wrap up our conversation give us your sense of the I know Alex you're a graduate now and but give us your sense of the health of university learning today I mean the legislatures in both of our local states have slashed spending class sizes are growing professors are upset uh, enrollment has dropped in some places UMKC mm -hmm. faces some pretty significant challenges as you know Alex tuition at KU which used to be affordable for just about everyone in the in the state has gone up dramatically and enrollment is challenged in that way what about the health of universities justice we'll start with you I think there is a role as students we can play that we are going to college is a good thing and that we're grooming the leaders of tomorrow and in regards to our legislators cutting back I mean funding every year I mean, higher ed is not, is not, it's a long-term investment. It's something you're gonna see later on. And, and hopefully they believe that, I just don't understand when higher education and funding for higher education cutbacks became cool or, or where that became a, a stance for our legislators down in Jeff City. But I think the health of college campuses is, it's almost, it's almost like it's dying out. I mean, we're seeing cut, cutbacks from 
are our class sizes from faculty being let go and staff being let go. And usually the first people to go are those who benefit students that are on the lower end, that staff that aren't uh, protected by tenure, and usually people that benefit uh, students as well. So we also see um, resources like money going to mental health or health services, stuff like that going first. And if anything, it is being it is a detriment to our students on campus where they're more worried about kind of their campus safety instead of, yeah. I mean, adding to the conversation. Yeah, yeah. I think there's, I mean, our higher education and even seeing it firsthand, it's we are in a very bad situation and it's gonna continue to get worse. That's disappointing to hear. Alex, what's your own experience? To obviously, KU, K-State, other regents, universities have been in the, in the crosshairs for some time. Yeah, I think education is changing. I think with the growth of technology that education is gonna continue to change. I think that there are more alternatives starting to pop up to university education, uh, like trade schools and such. But I do think education at university level does need improvement. I think it needs to have a, a refocus of some kind. I'm not sure what that focus should be long term, but I definitely think that the big general kind of general college degree kind of idea. I think that needs to change. I think as our economy changes and we become more advanced, that we need to specialize more. And I think if universities focus on specializations, uh, we will see a some better results coming yeah, out of I've university. I've argued that for some time. It, when you can get an education on your laptop, uh, the yeah. ivy-covered walls become a little less. Yeah, so absolutely. I, I agree with specialization in college campuses. But also, I mean, this is data from our board of curators, not only in the state of Missouri, but all over the country. Uh, I mean, enrollment numbers are down. And why we see that is because the economy is good. I mean, what we see is when, when the economy is good, people usually don't feel they need to go to school and get more education, get a better right. job. Correct. When the economy is doing good, uh, when the economy is bad, then people go to school. But I mean, it's because the economy is doing so good, people don't feel they need to going to debt and the go problem, to college. Of course, the other flip side of yeah. that is when the economy is bad is precisely when legislators say we can't afford to spend money on colleges and universities and they cut taxes and mm -hmm. cut spending. Right, but then when so, enrollment goes up, then that, that generates yeah. more revenue for the institution. Right, right. So even though the state the state dollars may yeah. go down, the um, tuition revenues um, go up. And right now, tuition revenues are really down in uh -huh. colleges across the country. Some are even shutting down because they can't survive. The smaller schools have shut right, down. Right. So yeah, they're desperate mm -hmm. for, uh, for student enrollment. And I think that some of the points that you guys have made about changing in um, Universities don't want to change the way they deliver education, and so they're sort of fighting against that, mm -hmm. too. So it, it, it's interesting to watch what's happening. Well, I think it's, uh, as we wrap up, it's clear that universities, among other things, need to listen to their students, and students like we've had in here today have just, uh, you know, show that dramatically Absolutely. because the, ki the students have great voices and deserve to be heard. Alex, thanks so much for coming in, Justice UT. Yep, thanks for thank coming you. in, Maray, my colleague. Us. No, it's great, great conversation fascinating topic and one we'll explore again. Marae Williams, my colleague, thanks so much for setting this up yeah, and bringing these, absolutely. My these, pleasure, young, Dave. these young gentlemen in. I'm Dave Helling with the Stars Editorial Board. You have been on Deep Background.